Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, Senior Managing Director of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to number 20. In the next 10 minutes, I'm going to provide a recap of May market action, the Fed, some perspective on inflation, and credit. Let's start by going over market action in May. The SP 500 was up less than 1%, so a pretty boring month relative to how it started the year. Over the past three months, it's still up over 10%, and for the year, up over 12%. The leader is still the Russell 2000 value. It was up 3% in May, up about 10% over the past three months. So that's in line with the SP, but for the year, it's up over 27%. That is huge returns, honestly, for the first five months of 2021. An interesting note that I saw was the developed equity markets. So the international equity markets were up over three and a half percent in May and for the year up over 10%. We haven't seen international really take the lead for a while now. So we'll see if this trend continues in the middle part of 2021. When we look over to the bond side, it was a pretty boring month in May. The aggregate index was up 33 basis points. For the year, it's still down a couple of percent, primarily due to the rate increases on the longer end of the curve earlier in the year. High yield is pretty steady, up 30 basis points during the month and up over 2% thus far in 21. Floating rate is still the winner, up 50 basis points during the month of May and for the year up over 3%. So floating rate loans are outperforming the aggregate index by more than 500 basis points or 5% for the first five months of the year. I wanna touch briefly on the Federal Reserve as the central bank has been hugely important to capital market behavior over the past year, and in particular last March. They did make an announcement that caught the market by a little surprise and that they said they would be essentially getting rid of or selling the bonds in the secondary corporate credit facility. Now, from the standpoint of actual bonds that they would have to sell, that isn't very large. It's about 14 billion, of which eight and a half billions in ETFs, five billion are in corporate bonds. That pales in comparison to 46 billion that we've seen in inflows in, in funds in that space. However, I think it's important from the standpoint of signaling. So when you think about the effect of the corporate credit facilities last March, the signaling effect was massive. And that gave the markets confidence that the Fed would be supporting the markets. This I found to be interesting in that this is really the first signal of them starting to tap on the brakes or lighten up on the gas, however you want to describe it. So it'll be interesting to see if, A, this is the beginning of them tapping on the brakes. It doesn't mean they're not accommodative. It just means they will be less accommodative. So as the corporate credit facilities wind down, will that translate to more signaling around higher rates and tapering? That remains to be seen and will certainly be, I think, very important for liquidity and market behavior over the next three to six months. So again, signaling, I find it very interesting. Actual selling of the bonds, I don't, I'll call it a quote unquote, so what? All right, let's turn to inflation. That seems to be the really big topic in 2021. And I will start with US dollar inflation swaps. 
which is essentially a derivatives view of the market's expectations for inflation. And the reason I want to go there is just to give you a sense of, quote unquote, how transitory inflation is expected to be according to market participants. The one-year inflation swap is expecting elevated inflation, three and a half to 4%. That is certainly on the high side of what we've seen over the past decade, maybe the highest. However, it does drop dramatically over the next two or three years to two to two and a half percent, which is more in line with what we've seen over the past decade. Essentially, the derivatives market, which is one of the largest markets in the world, is expecting inflation to be elevated for one to two years. So we'll see. I would say that when you think about the factors or the inputs, we have spent over $5 trillion in stimulus over the past year. There's a high level of consumer savings. So the demand side of the equation has been set up, but the supply side needs to catch up, in my opinion. I mean, you have supply bottlenecks, capacity constraints, material shortages, weather issues, logistic issues, employment issues. All of that is affecting and distorting supply. So you have this, what I think is a significant imbalance of supply constraints with really elevated demand. And that is leading to, in my opinion, not artificial, but certainly more short-term inflation. And it's uncertain right now how much that will come off over the next year or two. What I just shared with you is more of a quantitative view through the derivatives market. When I think about inflation over the next three to five years, I'm of the opinion that COVID was significantly deflationary in nature. And when I think about it from a company standpoint, in theory, if you had a company with 100 employees going into COVID, and then the world shifts, and now they're working remotely, if the work from home or remote environment is more productive, then in theory, you really don't need 100 employees in a couple of years once everything settles. That coupled with the acceleration of technology are significant disinflationary elements. So you would in theory have less employees due to the work from home productivity increase and better productivity through technology. That to me, longer term is disinflationary and why I'm of the opinion that this transitory inflation is really a you know, one to two, maybe three year dynamic. All right, let's touch on the economy. In a nutshell, the economy is ripping, in my opinion. Here, when you think about inflation, which we just went over, three to 4% expectation for inflation. If you look at the Atlanta Fed website, they have a function that's a, quote unquote, a real-time GDP. That's expected right now to come in over 10%. So when you add up G real GDP to be 10%, inflation to be three to four, you're you're having a nominal GDP that could very well be 13 to 14% in the second quarter. Now that is annualized, but still that's a, that's a massive number. We came out of a decade where real GDP sat at the 2% range, and then you had nominal, or nominal is probably three to four. It could be a, a teens type of number for Q2. So the economy is certainly, again, ripping. When we look through to consumer spending, we can break down certain areas where the consumer spending, and this is based on Bank of America's daily credit card spend through May 29th. 
total credit card spend year over year is up 34%. But that's to be expected because last year we were in a COVID economy. So if you go back to 2019, which I think is the better comparison, it's still up 20%. That's a significant increase to what was many felt was a robust economy in 2019. Other sectors that I found to be interesting, airline spending is down 10% relative to two years ago. While that doesn't sound great, it was in February, spend was down 75%. So there has been a massive acceleration in travel plans for most of America, which we have highlighted in previous, uh, previous podcasts. That's a very quick acceleration. Restaurants were up 104% year over year. Again, expected given last year was COVID, but relative to two years ago, restaurant spends up almost 20%. Home improvement relative to two years ago is up over 40%. That's a massive number, but it is consistent with a pretty hot housing market. Another sector that I think is of interest is the auto sector. This is data from an ISI survey of auto dealers, which they essentially ask auto dealers if they feel their inventory is too high or too low. Historically, 10 to 20% of auto dealers in the survey say we are, our inventory is too high. They want to sell more cars. The most recent survey had 70% of auto dealers saying their inventory was too low basically saying we need more cars. And that, again, is being affected by the supply shortages we talked about, the chip shortages, and accelerated demand. And we're seeing demand for used cars at all-time highs. As we look through to these supply dynamics and demand dynamics, I'd say inflation is really being pushed through to the consumer. The demand spikes coupled with the supply constraints is allowing companies to just push through not only in incremental costs, but margins on top. So a dollar of incremental cost for a particular widget doesn't result in a $1 pass through to the end consumer. It actually is resulting in a multiple of that so the company can keep margins. So as it sits today, the consumer is bearing almost all and maybe even more than what we're seeing on the inflation side. So where does that leave us as fixed income investors? I'll highlight big themes. Fundamentals are strong. While supply constraints are hampering sales, inflation elements are being pushed through to the end client. So it's not necessarily directly hurting companies. Default rates in high yield and floating rate loans over the next year are projected to be less than 2%, so below historic norms. So corporate debt has a very nice backdrop. While the Fed is going to wind down the secondary market corporate credit facility and is, quote, less accommodative, the central bank is still very accommodative and on the side of risk assets, in my opinion. What is going against risk assets is relative value as things are, from a price standpoint, elevated. But in corporate bonds, while you wait, you do get a higher interest, and that should help the waiting game. So with that, coupled with inflation, uncertainty around long-term inflation, the inclination or the desire to step into fixed rate with that uncertainty is, is low in my opinion. And you have the Fed anchoring the low end. So you can reduce volatility by anchoring to short duration assets. And you can hold spread assets given the health of corporations and the momentum of the economy, which takes us to the same narrative we've had for the past few months, which is floating rate spread or floating rate corporate. And while to some extent the trade has run, 
I don't think the back, macro backdrop has changed. I would like to add a caveat that if longer term rates go up another leg on the long end, which could take the 10 year to high ones, low twos, you may start to, the value of duration may start to be accretive to, to performance, but we'll see. And lastly, I just wanna share with you a non-economic thought. My oldest is a high school senior and he recently graduated. And what I'm share with you is what I thought was a very good and a bit non-traditional snippet or excerpt from a speech in 2017 that was given by Supreme Court Justice John Roberts at, uh, at a boarding school in New Hampshire. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. For graduating kids like my son, I think they'd be served well to remember that struggle is growth and perspective. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. The views in this commentary are as of June 18th, 2021, and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the funds, portfolio managers, and could be different if provided by a third party. Pacific funds are distributed by Pacific Select Distributors, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC, a subsidiary of Pacific Life Insurance Company, Newport Beach, California, and are available through licensed third parties. Pacific funds refers to Pacific Funds Series Trust. One basis point is equal to 0.01%. The Bloomberg Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is composed of investment-grade U.S. government bonds, investment-grade corporate bonds, mortgage pass-through securities, and asset-backed securities, and is commonly used to track the performance of U.S. investment-grade bonds. Derivatives include forwards, futures contracts, and options on securities, indices, currencies, and other investments and swaps, including interest rate, cross-currency, total return, and credit default swaps. Deflation is a general decline in prices for goods and services. GDP 
refers to gross domestic product and is the total of all value added created in an economy. The Russell 2000 Value Index measures the performance of the large cap value segment of the U.S. equity universe. It includes those Russell 1000 companies with lower price-to-book ratios and lower expected growth values. The S&P 500 Index is a market capitalization-weighted index of 500 widely held stocks often used as a proxy for the U.S. stock market. You cannot invest directly into an index. Investors should consider a fund's investment goal, risk, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus and or summary prospectus contains this and other information and should be read carefully before investing. The prospectus can be obtained by visiting pacificfunds.com.